0: Well, this is a great day to be together to worship the Lord. Thank you guys for leading us to worship this morning. I'd like to share a message with you this morning titled, The Crip That Was. This is the second part in the series uh, that we are doing. Uh, next week we'll conclude our series, finish it off with the rule and reign of Jesus. But today I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 24, and we'll see what God has to say to us. Luke chapter 24. Are you there? All right. I'm running out of hands. Thank you. Praise the Lord for you. The crypt, the sun that has risen, Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in a few different texts today, and at first, we're going to look at the first eyewitness account of the resurrection to get our blood pumping real good, and then we'll talk about what does this mean, okay? Luke chapter 24. We'll see what, see what happens. If you've never read this before, it's going to blow your mind, okay? Luke chapter 24, if you're with me, say, Word. All right. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. an idle tale and they did not believe them but peter rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what happened you see today no matter what you heard friend jesus is alive jesus is alive i like to summarize what takes place right after this in verse uh, verses 13 through 35 there were two more disciples we see in the next paragraph of Scripture, Cleopas, and then his friend. We don't know who it is. It could have been somebody from the New Testament that we know about, like the, the writer Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, or it could have been somebody. We, we don't know exactly. We just know it was two disciples, and they were about seven miles outside of Jerusalem headed towards a little town called Emmaus. And as they're walking... They're talking about what had just taken place. You see, they heard about the ladies, and they they heard that Jesus is alive, and they were confused, and they they thought Jesus was the the Messiah. They would make everything right, and so they're they're walking down the street, and then Jesus shows up, and he begins to walk alongside of them. This would have been a very normal route from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it would be common to see somebody walking on the street. And So when you see somebody coming, you make sure to maintain your six feet. No, I'm kidding. But Jesus starts walking with these two disciples. He stumbles up upon them, or he shows up behind them. Maybe he's walking faster, or maybe he's in front, and he slows down a little bit. Now, remember, Jesus is in his new resurrected body. Jesus, at this point, is the only person that's ever died Come back to life, and will never die again. You see, Jesus, his resurrected body, is different in that it's not like Lazarus and some of these other people who had been resurrected. You see, when Lazarus came back to life, he had the grave stink on him. He, he, was, he was back alive, but then he would have to die a physical death once again. Lazarus is one of the few people who have to die physically twice. But Jesus, this is, he's different. He's got his new... Resurrected body. So there's three consequences of the empty crypt I like to share with you today. Number one, the resurrection causes us to have a resurrection. The resurrection causes us, all believers, who repent and believe in the gospel, to have our own resurrection. And this is twofold. The first resurrection we have is we're walking around like dead people, the Bible says, when we before Christ. And so we get a spiritual resurrection. Jesus told that to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's the first resurrection spiritually. You go from a dead person to a live person at salvation. So that's the first resurrection. The second resurrection, part of salvation, is you get a new body. You get a new body, the ideal body. Now, it's interesting. Jesus shows up to Mary Magdalene. She thought he was a gardener. She thought he was just this young guy who was trimming the roses, who was just out there who showed up and she didn't really recognize him. Now, the scripture says it was kept from her seed. But it's interesting. Maybe he didn't look like he had been looking the days before the cross. You see, you have your body and it's important. God knit you together in your mother's womb. But your new resurrection body, so maybe as a child you had you had to have glasses when nobody else did, right? You had glasses in kindergarten, and that just bothered you because you didn't want to have glasses. But your new resurrected body one day will be the best version physically of you that you've never seen before. You'll be able to see 2020, maybe better. You say, well, will we be able to recognize each other in heaven? I believe we will. But it will be a better version of what you're seeing now. And so this just picture that. Jesus in his new resurrected body, he shows up on the road, he hears these two guys, and basically he says, Hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And they're thinking, well, who's this guy? And so Jesus says, well, what's going on? Why are you looking so sad? What's what's going on? What, What happened? And they said, man, who are you? Where have you been? Are you the only person that's visited Jerusalem? So they're walking from Jerusalem. Are you the only person walking from Jerusalem, that entered in Jerusalem, the only only traveler, that does not know what's taking place. Man, have you watched the news? Do you not know what's going on? Everybody's talking about it. That Jesus was crucified, and now people are saying that he's alive. And there's people that have seen him. But we're sad. And Jesus was heartbroken. He was heartbroken. And Jesus began to say, You guys are foolish they are like, well, who's this guy talking to us in this way? Jesus says, no, you're foolish because you have it spoken from the prophets of what's taking place. And Jesus talked about these things. And so if you had a little faith, you'd recognize what's taking place. And so Jesus begins to go through the Old Testament verbally and show them and point them to the gospel. And then... These guys get to their destination. Jesus continues to walk on like he's going to go to the next town. And they say, hey, 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 it's getting late. Why don't you come, why don't you come hang out with us? Why don't you continue this conversation? So they sat down. They, they're going to have supper or whatever you call it, gather around the table. And they're sitting there passing the bread, passing the turnip greens, hanging out with this random guy they met that apparently is like a prophet. And when Jesus broke that bread, they recognized who he was, and oh, it made sense. You see, why didn't they recognize Jesus? Well, just to, walking out a little bit on the ledge here, maybe he was the best version of Jesus physically that they had never seen before. You see, Jesus was 33 years old when he died. You say, well, that's a young guy. Well, imagine the agony. Scholars call the agony of anticipation. Imagine the agony being God in the flesh, and every time you see a Roman soldier, you think, is that the guy that's going to nail me to the cross one day when I grow up? Every time Jesus saw a thorn bush, did he think, is that going to be, the thorns going to be from these bushes that's going to be pushed down into my skull? You see, Jesus had the weariness of knowing all things. He knew what was coming, which had to be stressful on the human body. But also, he had no home. He lived outside on the street. He was homeless. He had the stress on his body. He had stress of ministry. He was healing people. Thousands of people come from all over. People, Mobs of people were surrounding him all the time. And Jesus was weary. So the 33-year-old Jesus would have great, Stress in his face almost like the president we see the president come out of the office eight years later, man It's like they aged 30 years or 20 years and that just picture Jesus in just those three years of ministry. It sucked the life out of him physically But those disciples when they saw that bread broken, I think they thought in their mind. We've seen this before We saw how he broke that bread. Oh my goodness. This is Jesus and we're with him and it made sense And then Jesus goes away in verse 32 of Luke 24. He says, did our hearts not burn within us as he talked to us on the road? Was there something going on? Man, we knew this was amazing. We knew something took place. So they took off running, and they go tell the others, the Lord has risen indeed. Well, all of us are going to get new bodies if you know Jesus. Isn't that exciting? I'd like us to play a game quickly here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Titled "Guess That Church Member," okay. A lot of people in our church and all over America and all over the world are posting pictures from back in the day. Maybe it's a graduation picture, or maybe it's some random picture. And uh, you know, people post these things online publicly, so you can you can pull that picture uh, easily if you want to, okay. So we're gonna play this game, "Guess That Church Member," and I want you to guess the church member from First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis, okay. I'll give you a second to guess. Who is this member right here? Look at that hair. That is a beautiful man. Look at that. Well, you may have guessed right. This is Dave Harville. Now the fish is impressive, but the hair is even more impressive. Okay, that's a tarpon that Dave caught. All right, guess this member. Who is this church member? Who is that? Wayne Fillingame. That's right. He looks like a member of the Beatles. Did you know that Wayne was a member of the Beatles? Look at that bow tie. It takes a real man to wear a bow tie. Next, I want you to guess this church member. Can you figure out who that is? Now, if you're a guest watching, you think, thinking, I don't know any of these people. We just hold on, okay? This is Gail Carr. Gail Carr plays our piano normally at our church. Look at that hair. Yeah. Okay, I want you to guess who this church member is. Look closer now. This is a 20-year-old version of this great woman of God. Can you figure out who it is? Peggy Tedford. Miss Peggy Tedford. Okay, guess who this next church member is? Look at that smile. Oh, my goodness. million dollars. Look at the hair. This is Ron McGee look at that good looking okay awesome all right last one but not least who is this church member here can you guess who that is i'll give you a hint he's volunteering to run our camera today this is mike fleming thank you mike for helping the camera run the camera all right mike fleming okay did you enjoy that wasn't that a lot of fun look at that handsome guy now now you wonder how he got his bride you you, you've wondered okay all right. Well, next we see from this, these passages the resurrection commits the final blow to death, sin, and the forces of evil. Now, if you want to know what this means about the resurrection, so we saw an account of the actual resurrection or what took place shortly thereafter. But if you go to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, you'll get to see what, it, what are the ramifications of the empty tomb. What are they? What, what took place? Romans chapter 6. Verses 4 through 10. It's talking about us, our salvation, and what took place. We were buried, therefore, with him, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, a second consequence of the empty crypt is this the resurrection of Jesus commits the final blow to death sin, and the forces of evil. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 says that Jesus said, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do you know the keeper of the keys today? Do you know Jesus? In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, it says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, sin has per- permanent consequences. And it's hard for them to be undone, but the resurrection also has permanent consequences. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. You see, Jesus won our victory on that cross, and this caused it to be possible for us to be free from a life of sin. The third consequence of the resurrection is this. The resurrection concludes mission validity. The resurrection of Jesus concludes our mission validity. I want you to go to Luke 24. Go back to Luke 24 if you're still there. That's great. Let's read what happens in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and they were frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40 of Luke chapter 24. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, Have you any, have anything here to eat? And Jesus has said, You guys think you're seeing crazy things, but go get me something to eat, and I'll show you that I'm a real man in a new resurrected body. Verse 42, They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. And then he said to them, For the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, verse 46 gives us the mission, what we're supposed to be doing. This Concludes that we have purpose as a local church and as the greater church to make disciples of all nations because of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15:14 says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and then our faith is in vain. But Jesus has been resurrected. Verse 49 in this passage tells us how we're going to do it. So we know the mission, boy, all nations. Everybody? Boy, that's a lot of people. It, we're just little people. We don't, we don't even have the internet. How are we going to get there at this point, 2,000 years ago? And then Jesus gives them the secret. He says, If you'll stay in Jerusalem, I'm going to fulfill my promise of sending you the helper, and I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. I'm going to come live inside of you so that you can fulfill the mission. So you don't have to do it in your own strength, but if you'll die to yourself and live crucified, let me walk through you, and talk through you, and shine through you, and I'll help you do great and mighty things that you know not. Things that you've never seen before, even in our three years of ministry. So the resurrection of Jesus concludes our mission validity. I'd like to give you two apologetic proofs before we close, just for fun. Uh, People would say, well, how do you know Jesus really was alive, uh, or really died? Maybe the gospel's not true. Jesus really didn't come back to life because he never died. Maybe his pulse was still beating, and maybe he somehow they paid off some guards to make sure he was uh, dead or, or alive. But I want to give you two apologetic proofs. Okay, the first one is the certain death. It, it was no secret that Jesus proclaimed he would rise again. He told everybody that at a certain point in his ministry. People knew he would say, if you tear down this temple, he'll raise it up in three days. So the Jews took every precaution because the worst thing for them would be if Jesus was to come back to life. They took every step necessary to ensure that Jesus died. In fact, the Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross, they would have been professional executioners. They would know how to guarantee somebody died they knew how to take a pulse they knew how to wait a while check the heartbeat they knew how to take some other graphic violent measures to make sure to make certain that this person had died the soldiers would have lost their very lives if they were to botch the the uh, this execution they would have lost their own lives and so if if your whole life depends on whether you accomplish your job then you do the job so you get to live they were certain to get the job done and they did it, and they killed Jesus, and we can be sure of it. The second apologetic proof would be this, the eyewitness accounts. You see, in the court of law today in America, eyewitness accounts bear a strong witness. And in cases where there's many eyewitnesses, more than one, two, three, four, five, six, go on and on and on, that makes the strongest case possible. Because, see, you can go and you can interview these eyewitnesses and you can see if their story lines up with other people's and you can investigate it in the court of law today if somebody had multiple eyewitnesses hundreds of eyewitnesses then that case is going to swing in the favor of whatever the eyewitnesses say they saw especially when their story lines up perfectly peter the apostle wrote for we did not follow cleverly devised tales." When we made known to you by the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John wrote, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Luke says, He presented himself alive for his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days in Acts 1-3. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek say if the resurrection had not occurred, why would the Apostle Paul give such a list of supposed eyewitnesses? He would immediately lose all credibility to his Corinthian readers if he was lying so blatantly. Lastly, even Paul, one of the leading persecutors of the early church, was convinced that the resurrection of Jesus was authentic. What about you, friend? Do you believe in the resurrection today? I want to tell you, Jesus believes in you. and He wants to work in your life on this Easter morning. In the face of severe persecution, the early church refused to deny the resurrection. Because of their faith, many of them would die a martyr's death. Eleven out of the twelve disciples, we know, would go on to die a martyr's death. If they would have simply denied the resurrection, many of them would have lived. Why would they die for something? So willingly for something they would have known to be. Alive, You see, they were convinced. They put all their trust in this Jesus and all of their hope in Jesus because they knew he was alive, just as he said he would. We're about to enter into a time of invitation. A time for you to respond if you don't know the Lord. A time for you to respond to the gospel even if you do know the Lord. And this is the day, friend, for you, if you don't know Christ, to come to Jesus. All of you who need a Savior, all of you who need forgiveness and freedom in God's name, you come just as you are to the Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the day for Jesus to transition from your mascot to your monarch, my friend. Today is the day for you to transition Jesus from being your kickback crony to being the king of your life. Today is the day for you to to change your theology about the man upstairs. Maybe that's your thought, man, he's just the man upstairs and he's my buddy, he's my pal. Friend, I want to tell you, he's much more than the man upstairs. And today he can transition from your small scale, man upstairs mindset in your heart to the supernatural King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Today is the day for you to stop worshiping a little G God who bends to your commands to the God who answers to absolutely no one. Today is the day for you. Today is the day for you to stop worshipping religion and money and status and America and transition to worshipping a God who rules and reigns forevermore over every nation, over every solar system, over all the galaxies. Do you know this God today? He knows you and He loves you. The Bible says that he was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him the name above every other name. Do you know him? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Did you know that every knee is going to bow to Jesus one day? Everyone in America, no matter how much money they have, no matter how poor they are, they're going to Name the name of Jesus and bow down. Every ruler of every nation, for all history from behind us and before us, are going to bow down at the name of Jesus. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, 2020, during the coronavirus, bodies are still being raised. Today, people, I believe millions, hopefully, put their faith in Jesus and be set free and have a resurrection, to have a spiritual resurrection to go from being dead to being alive. And so right now, if you've never made that decision, I want to lead you in a prayer. Prayer doesn't save you, but faith in the gospel is what saves you, repentance and faith. And so you can say something like this, Father, here I am. I found this worship service online. And and God, you're working in my life. I'm convicted. You've been preparing me for this moment. I've heard the gospel. And God, I want to repent. I want to agree that my sin is sin towards you. God, I want to confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus was God's son, that he died in my place, and I will receive that gift of salvation by faith. Now say, Father, I want to follow you in the days ahead. Help me do what it takes to be a true disciple of Jesus. You simply say amen. The Bible says if you did that, friend, he takes your sin and your life, past, present, future, and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. It's a long ways. He chooses to remember your sin no more. He sees you with, through the righteous blood of Jesus, perfection, holiness, and now you're reconciled to God. And now you have to follow him in the days ahead.